The Spin-Off Podcast Network. At Zed, we're all about moving with the times. And now it's time to be part of the climate change solution and move on from fossil fuels. As a company providing fuel to people all over the country, we also know we have a real opportunity to lead that change. We're committed to keeping Aotearoa moving by providing the right energy for everyone. We believe that innovation in fuel and how it's used can make a huge difference to our planet. Find out more at z.co.nz. The Fold is brought to you by O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. My hokimaki are the fold. My guest today is Sanjana Hotutawa, who is a Sri Lankan uh, researcher um, who has basically been studying the intersection between sort of democracy and and freedom and technology for the thick end of of 20 years. He's a world-credentialed person and happens to have been in New Zealand working at Te Punaha Matatini for the last few years Um, and as a result has, has been here for some of the great and, I mean, great as in scale, terrible as in outcomes, moments of our sort of of the that intersection of of internet discourse becoming physical world you know realities or or harms and honestly the the sort of difficulties I'm having articulating this stuff point to sort of how complex this job is but you know we we recorded this on on March 3rd you know less than um, 24 hours after the sort of the ugly, riotous denouement to that, uh, to the occupation of Parliament's grounds, and as Sanjana says, he, you know, he was watching it with, you know, a million tabs open with multiple apps, you know, with a whole panoply of live streams documenting the thing, and that that is basically where he lives now, is the sort of extremes of the information disordered you know, universe within Aotearoa and watching ideas spread and and watching platforms evolve, watching reach escalate. And, you know, the reason I had him on the podcast was, you know, he, he did an interview on, on Morning Report and has, has been tweeting about the extent to which individuals at the, uh, the protest, at the occupation, were live streaming and creating content which was far outrating the reach of the entire of what what you know of what you might call the the sort of mainstream New Zealand media and and that was completely without precedent and and it lingered it wasn't momentary it it would last for days and it happened again yesterday and I basically, you know, regular listeners to this podcast or people who have read my writing have known about my disquiet about the extent to which things are happening on, you know, social media and communications platforms, you know, with with massive reach, with no guardrails, with no oversight, with no consequences uh, for the the wildly profitable venture capital funded companies at the heart of this, and that there is immense you know, social harm being done that is likely to to last for a long time. And our response to this point has been to to have some researchers study it or to express concern about it. And 
I wondered if, and I certainly heard this in potentially in, in Jacinda Ardern's remarks at the 5.30 press conference on, on March 2nd, that we might be moving into a phase where we're sort of, as a society, as a political class, as the sort of elites who have the privilege of wondering about this stuff, uh, starting to move into a more action-based era. And yeah, so that, that's like, I guess, the fundamental spur for this conversation. Uh, he's an incredibly, like, it's it's a kind of a miracle that, that he's here at the moment. This is someone who, uh, you know, we, we spoke afterwards, who's you know, worked alongside Maria Ressa, who, you know, is, is a Nobel laureate for a reason. Um, you know, he's been a huge part of the resistance to uh, Duterte in the Philippines. And when you're in that kind of company, you know Facebook, you know platforms, and you know the, the spread of information on them in a really, you know, molecular level. And you, you'll hear from this conversation that... Uh, this dude is sounding the alarm in a really quite profound way about what what is going on here and the extent to which we need to move this up our kind of concern pillar to to right near the top and you know that that's that's how I felt for a while I feel like this is the the sort of shared understanding of truth is the platform on which every other problem gets solved so if you're passionate about indigenous rights or climate change or whatever it is. We have to agree on something and, and solve our disagreements through conversation and not by hurling cobblestones at each other. And right now we are starting to look like we're, we're losing that that shared reality uh, a bit. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a heavy one, um, but I think it's, it's pretty important to, uh, just before we get into it, I want to thank my sponsors in Vodafone uh, who have world-class technology that we're recording through right now. Uh, if you are in business uh, and you need some internet, and you do, head to vodafone.co.nz. Uh, to find out more about their offer. This is uh, Sanjana Hotutuawa on The Fold. Kia ora, Sanjana, and welcome to The Fold. Kia ora, thank you for having me. Um, I just want to get right to the thing which, which I feel like we're all um, all over at the moment is, uh, is, is the events that, that happened at Parliament yesterday. Uh, did you watch the footage and... and you know, what was your sort of response to it as someone who's been in the weeds of the um, social media communication side of it for over, over a long period of time, particularly this past month? Well, the question is an interesting one because it's not just one channel or platform or app or live stream or video. Um, it was a multiplicity of it. Uh, and that's also quite interesting and significant, and maybe we can talk about it later. But when you asked me the question whether I was tuned into it, yes, I was, but perhaps in a way quite fundamentally different to many of the listeners. Um, I had multiple tabs open, um, multiple live streams, um, multiple sources of real-time information coming in, multiple sources of commentary around those channels and vectors. So it was, uh, I suppose, for many, an information overload, but that's the kind of work that the disinformation project does to ascertain what is the pulse of a context or a community or a moment or a movement or an incident or a development offline and how it's reflected online. Uh, it's not easy. <laughs> you know. You can, you can imagine the cognitive dis dissonance uh, because I think what listeners also need to quite, uh, uh, do, may not realize, but do need to understand is that uh, all of these live streams aren't saying the same thing. 
uh, and are framing what is happening in real time and the protests as well in fundamentally different and divergent ways. Um, that are actually quite stark. It's not as if there are, you know, some similarities between some of these frames. Depending on who you listen to, it's it's really fundamentally different uh, and divergent. So I was, I mean, that's a long way of uh, answering a question. I was plugged in and tuned into it. And the second part of it is also quite interesting because, again, many listeners, if not all of them, would be Kiwis. I'm not Kiwi. I'm Sri Lankan. And this is in what you call an information disorder that I have literally grown up with for decades. And then subsequently in my adult life have for the past two decades studied and being immersed and enmeshed. And um, uh, from that perspective, I have a very different take, I suppose, to many uh, to what happened yesterday. Um, in, 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 it, it does affect everybody. Um, and it was very disturbing to see. But I suppose the one thing that I can bring to the table is that it is uh, disconcerting and anomalous to find here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, that which I have studied elsewhere and for many years prior. It is as anomalous as, say, dengue or malaria in the Arctic or polar circles. You, you, that's something that you don't see. And if you do, there's something very wrong because those are tropical diseases that you shouldn't be looking at, studying or observing the spread and entrenchment of in conditions that are certainly very far removed from what you would normally associate them with. So from a global south um, perspective, nothing I saw yesterday is new, but it is phenomenally frightening and fascinating in equal parts to see its entrenchment and expansion at pace here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And we can talk uh, a long time just on that. Um, yeah. But for the record, it was very disturbing. I mean, no, no, totally. I mean, and, and to be honest, like that, <laughs> that's a strong opener, and 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 that's precisely why I was so excited to have you on because, you know, the, the, there was this this sort of cognitive dissonance of seeing. I think Toby Manhai wrote about it in a piece for us this morning about you're seeing mm. scenes that are familiar, you know, the kind of um, the, the clashing between, uh, you know, police forces and and violent protest. And yet the backdrop was unfamiliar because it was was both familiar as in it was parliament. It yeah. was unfamiliar as in we've yeah. never seen those things juxtaposed before. And, and that is why I think, you know, for, for a lot of us, we've had this kind of sense of Aotearoa and, uh, exceptionalism where we think, man, that stuff that's happening over there is crazy. It won't wash up here, even though all of the sort of, a lot of the preconditions in terms of the, uh, the, the discourse that you monitor were there and they were just looking for, a, a moment, um, which we'll get to all of this, and I'm excited about it. But I wondered if you could, um, just just by way of kind of background, tell me about how you came to be interested in the relationship between a sort of, you know, what you might call civilized society or democracy um, and, and the internet and, and how that has flowed into your role um, at the Disinformation Project with Te Punaha Matatini. Uh, well, it's an interesting phrase that you use, civilized society, and I wonder what that means because that means very different things to very different people. That's true. Um, and, you know, one of the, you know, at the time we're recording this, uh, one of the problems that people of color have is with the depiction of uh, Ukraine as a, 
as a country in civilized Europe and some of the very racist tropes and leitmotifs and frames that media across the world, including European media, have used uh, to somehow project it as um, it's the only in the uncivilized world, however you see it, that these things are more familiar with. So, I mean, that's an interesting phrase that you use, but I will take it to mean there are tenets of democracy that we can all aspire to, subscribe to and hold valuable and cherish. Uh, and uh, as a Sri Lankan in, in, in Aderwa, uh, as an outsider, uh, you know, these are things that uh, one hasn't seen in one's own life. Um, and there are things that are worth fighting for and defending mm. in terms of uh, uh, liberal democratic traditions and institutions and processes and foundations. Um, also going back, you know, pre-treaty days, you know, and post-treaty. So it's not as if it's a Western importation. It's deeply rooted in Maori cultures, faiths, traditions and worldviews and perspectives. So this country has a rich history can draw upon. Uh, and as the backdrop of the or, or the or the canvas around which uh, so much yesterday was extraordinarily um, a, a disconnected from uh, and violent towards. So um, it, it's interesting that you ask that question because um, my my interest has been um, from what you now have words for. You call them information disorders. You call them dis and misinfo. There are acronyms. There are you know academic studies and frameworks and whatnot. But let me tell you a very personal story. I mean, I grew up in a country of uh, at war. You know, in 1983. Um, when I was six years old, um, I went to sleep because our, our house is near uh, uh, well, what turned out to be a major airport. It's actually a small domestic airport, but it turned out to be the airport in which uh, or to which the casualties of war from the north of my country came in to go to hospital in, in the capital city, Colombo. So I went to sleep with, uh, you know, these huge turboprops in the 80s. You didn't have jet, you only had these turboprops and it was quite noisy. But then the morning after, the the, the government or the state media heralded huge victories uh, for the army. And there was no no talk whatsoever about the casualties that were flowing in throughout the night that was very evident to the neighborhood around the airport. So, I, you know, it was the, the patina of experience is etched with the disconnect between what are official narratives and for us in Sri Lanka, what were more grounded narratives. So I kind of grew up with the skepticism of um, uh, the narratives as presented and promoted by the state, which I think I suppose was my pathway to interrogating in my adult life um, the role of social media, the role of information, the role of uh, media generally, even pre-social media, and how, I suppose, if you can distill it to one thing, how what is talked about online now informs and influences what happens offline and how what happens offline, which I suppose many listeners would recognize if I use a different term, um, in the real world, I suppose, is what listeners would, would immediately recognize. We don't use that because for many who are on online, the, the, the online is as real as what they would physically interact with. So... Most listeners would recognize it as a real world. And for, for, for us, it's what happens in the real world, how it informs and influences conversations and content online. We call this a symbiotic relationship. One influences the other. And it's always that, you know, there's a conversation happening between the two. Um, and um, I, my PhD was what brought me to Aterawa, which I was uh, looking at the information disorders in Sri Lanka. And I also did the first research in Aterawa looking at the manner in which 
almost exactly three years ago, the Christchurch massacre played out on Twitter, which is a chapter. Obviously, I didn't intend to ever write it, but uh, it was a terrible, tragic event that I was witness to as a consequence of being in the country. And I pivoted my research framework and foci to look at it. Um, and I did. It is, it is a chapter. And so it's with a lot of background that's also grounded in our terroir that I now look at the information disorders that have arisen as a consequence of more recently the L4, L3 lockdowns mid-August, starting 17th, August 2021. And so I have more concertedly studied um, what has grown at pace, disturbingly, is now entrenched is expanding and shows no signs of um, plateauing either. Um, so we can talk about it more, but there were things that happened during the protest on the 10th of February in particular, and at the time of recording this, the day prior to recording this, um, on the 2nd of March, that are historically unprecedented in the media landscape of the country, leave aside the disinfo and misinfo landscape. So there are things of uh, utmost significance, extraordinarily unprecedented things happening um, that I think we should pay attention to. And not in just in academic ways, I think listeners would, uh, their eyes would glaze over if I were to talk about the ways in which we study this. My point is a very simple one. It's a very human one. No matter who you are, no matter which which side or uh, position you occupy on the political spectrum, um, we should be concerned about disinformation because it is a cancer that erodes our trust and confidence in democratic institutions. And very importantly, and this is, I think, what would really resonate with Kiwis, it, it really impacts the way we negotiate difference and how we see each other. That's 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 what I'm very worried about. Yeah, and I think that's what I was kind of like, you know, this there can be many different types of civilized society. There is no one, but but it's one where you resolve your differences without hurling cobblestones at one another. And that's the thing that I would quite like yeah. us to maintain and try and work towards a better version of it rather than what we saw yesterday felt like yeah. you know, it has the potential to be anomalous or it has the potential to be a harbinger of you know, a, a, a much more uh, sort of violent and unsettled period if it swings a particular way. I, wa I want to get into all this. I mean, I'm, I'm worried that I'm setting us up for like a 15-hour podcast, but just um, quickly, like you described yesterday, uh, sorry, early, earlier, you described, um, you know, the way that you watched this in real time is you didn't just have the stuff live stream up. Uh, you had a million tabs and monitors. And I'm kind of curious about... What you know? How you as an individual um, go about monitoring people who would you know some of whom some of whom are trying to there is a kind of a version of it which is trying to move minds and bring people into the movement, and another which is very much trying not to be monitored, uh, and then also trying to synthesize that into something that you can kind of coherently output. Do you want to talk a little bit about your sort of methodology and and the where and the yeah. how? It's an important question. So um, I'm not police. I have no aspirations to be a surveillance entity or an intelligence age, a, a, a entity. Um, my background, my, my, my belief, my faith, my DNA is structured to first principles and human rights, simply because I have grown up with a paucity of it and in a, in a vacuum where the state and the police have been part of the problem. Um, so I am a protester. <laughs> I am very partial to protest and democratic debate and, you know, holding government accountable. 
Um, but what we are seeing and what we have seen and what the protests are, are something very dark and very different to all of that and the, and the front-facing performative versions uh, of what it was projected and promoted as by, the, by, by some in the protest itself. Uh, and that's my take on it, which was, um, you know, the, 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 the study that we do is all public domain content. Nothing is, 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 is accessible through, for example, what some people, uh, what some listeners might, might identify with the dark web or, you know, the marginal, parenthetical, peripheral, um, zones of the internet, which are, you know, which are hideous and heinous and hellish. Would, would you include in that just, you know, for example, closed Facebook groups or Telegram, you know, gated no, communities? No, 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 no closed Facebook groups are monitored. Um, uh, Telegram, yes, because anybody with a Telegram account can, 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 um, well, obviously download the app yeah. and then uh, access, access the content and, Telegram is the problem. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, well, and 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 because I feel like on some level there's like a a funnel where you know Facebook can um, an algorithm can introduce the the sort of the seed of an idea and then basically you get led into a place with no. Yeah, but you have to be careful about that. So just just to clarify for the listeners, I think many of us after Haugen and you know the, the you know the disclosures yes. that have gripped the world with, with around Facebook and other social media companies, YouTube included. Associate harms with algorithmic harms. However, we understand it. I don't want to get into it, but we have we have come, you know, we are used to hearing about algorithms and how they lead into rabbit holes of mm. toxicity. Mm. Uh, so let's take that as a given. Let's 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 appreciate it for what it is, and then understand it for what it is as well, and acknowledge it that that is a problem. But this is, I think, where most listeners would, or what most listeners would find fascinating. And is actually fundamentally different to social media platforms that we more often talk about. Telegram is not algorithmically controlled. There is nothing algorithmic about Telegram. Another way of looking at it is that the entirety of the sharing and the commenting and the production and the seeding and the cross-pollination of content is organic, mm. is by human user, uh, follower, subscriber interaction. And it is significantly different to Facebook in that regard because, you know, there is nothing that with Telegram as a company stops mis and disinfo. There is nothing. There is no policy that governs it. You could argue... You could argue that social media companies have all of the policies in place, and I think that's it's the an enforcement issue, right? No, the, exactly the, the only, right. The only exactly reason right. I mentioned uh, Facebook was because I think that you know Telegram does seem to be where the action is, and I'd love for you to talk about what you see there, but more about the you know you can't just walk straight into you don't just walk down the street and think actually I'm going to start thinking you know viewing the world through a conspiratorial lens and just go straight in at the deep end. You have to be taken there, and the early step often happen there. And I guess I am curious about the extent to which or, or how you yeah. see people kind of, like are there sort of radicalization journeys, you know, that are almost like a, a, a user journey kind of thing that that have kind of been created out of yeah. Uh, yeah. This, this environment? Because you must have been watching it happen very quickly in this kind of compressed spell because we, we saw the you know, the convoy become what it ended as uh, over a much more compressed period of time and with a quite specific group of people. A lot of what we saw after the 6th of February were evident for researchers like myself for months prior. So, uh, it, I mean, I have to stress that. I mean, nothing that we saw uh, during the protest or the convoy um, as much as the convoy was actually, uh, as you correctly point out, something that emerged very, very quickly. 
um, was surprising. They, you know, in academia, they call this a path dependency. There was a certain dynamic and a signature uh, that we studied around the growth of this content, where it was growing, who was producing it, who was engaging with it, how it was being cross-pollinated, the way it was spreading, how it was spreading, over what. So there's a lot of, it's like a farmer would look at irrigation. Uh, and when you look at the irrigation patterns for a while, you kind of figure out which way the water is flowing and where the well springs are. And we had seen this for months prior. So, I mean, you know, to, just to disabuse listeners that this is a phenomenon that only occurred at pace or was introduced to Aotearoa after the 6th of February. However, there is merit in what you say, which is that there was an acceleration. It scaled, um, right? It, it absolutely. And it scale is also an interesting term. Um, so what we what we saw was it was a greater volume, there was a greater velocity, which is a speed, and there was more diversity in the vectors, which is the platforms. So volume, vector, and velocity. And then there's also another way of looking at it, which is in terms of speed, scope, and scale. So there was an accelerated uh, production of violative, harmful material. There were greater audiences to which it was re- reaching. Uh, and then there was also, in terms of uh, the, the the number of issues or the number of people or the number of conspiratorialism that was kind of uh, married to that content, that also got more complicated and complex. Um, so, for example, I'll just give you one example because readers might, or rather listeners might find this a bit abstract. Um, what re- what listeners would normally associate with, because, you know, we've been reading about it, we've been hearing about it, and we've been concerned about it in terms of the QAnon conspiratorialism, associated generally, I suppose, with many still, with the United States, so very far away from Aotearoa, New Zealand, and everything that we saw go wrong around the 6th of January, Capitol Hill insurrection, before, during, and afterwards, including after 2016, actually, all of that vocabulary, all of those harms, Every single target, every single way of looking at the world, every single target that is part of that QAnon conspiratorialism is here. So it's, it's quite chilling, but it's, I mean, we, we also can't deny it after the events of, of the past month, particularly yesterday. We'll take a very quick break and uh, come back with more from Sanjana. The Fold is brought to you by O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O-Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, Jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. 
so you, you, one of the things that you know, I think where, where you kind of which you've spoken about, and and I think is really interesting to people because on some level, like we we are, or, or a lot of us are, products of a you know, or, or have a, a familiar understanding of scale of audience within mainstream media environments, and and when you transfer to social. The, there is a there's less visibility of scale audiences, and we we understand that there are just everything's cut into a, a thousand niches, and the, whatever your vision of social media is is unique to you, which makes processing some of this mentally harder. But one of the things that you have drawn attention to is the extent to which the what you might call the disinfo sort of cinematic universe was at times scaling well beyond what the reach yeah. of um, oh, yeah. quote-unquote mainstream media. Um, yeah. t- tell us about that and, and you know how shocking that those spikes were and and how rare that was as a sort of a phenomenon? I mean, I'm struggling to kind of explain that uh, in in, in a way that listeners would would comprehend the significance of it. Even for us, it was extraordinary. Um, We've never seen anything like it, particularly on the 10th of February, um, which I have written about on my Twitter account and I tried to kind of communicate the significance of to Kiwis. Um, We have never seen a small group of entities, actors, producers of dis and misinfo on the platforms that we study, which are namely Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and Twitter, um, and also by extension, TikTok. Uh, So, you know, the leading social media platforms, quite independent of Telegram. But, you know, if you take Facebook, I mean, the general understanding is that there's a lot of good people on it, you know, not necessarily people who are um, interested in violent extremism. But what we saw on the 10th of February is that a dozen accounts in particular, but also more generally, um, the constellation of accounts that the Disinformation Project look at, not just exceeded, but by order of magnitude, exceeded the entirety of the country's mainstream media accounts that we could discover and study on Facebook that day. And that pattern held for 72 hours. So just to get the listeners head around that, um, that means that a very different perspective of the protest, which was extremely violent, harmful, and married to um, violent ideation online, for whatever reason, and that goes beyond, that discussion goes beyond this podcast, but for whatever reason, generated particularly with regards to video, by order of magnitude, more engagement than the entirety of the Aotearoa New Zealand mainstream media. It's never happened before. And on the date of recording this, actually, what happened on the 2nd of March is even more extraordinary. I can't name names, but there is one leading misinformation producer on Facebook whose live streams at one point, uh, well, on the 2nd of March, featured around 22,000 concurrent viewers. We've never seen that, ever. And if you took a look at it, at the time of recording this, I'm still crunching through the numbers, but if you took a look at it, that individual's Facebook live streams, and there were many during the course of the day, uh, researchers have a tool that is able to capture Facebook engagements that are pegged to a particular country. Uh, so I took a look at all all of the Facebook pages in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And that one individual's live streams are in the top five of all pages 
in Aotearoa, New Zealand. That is not something that the history of media in the country has seen. That is an extraordinary data signature. And the implications of it, I will just add by saying that a lot of listeners would think that this is academic or technological. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> it is both. But you see, the fear that we have as researchers is that that what is being discussed and how, who is engaging with it and who is commenting on it, invariably determine what we talked about earlier, which is how we see ourselves offline. This is the this is the thing, right? This is the thing, actually, and that is the worry. So it's not just technosocial or technological or technocratic. It is gendered. It is it is rooted in communities. It affects Maori and Pacifica and other communities in this country differently, uh, and so it's going to impact any which way you cut it. Social cohesion moving forward. That is that is my worry. That is what drives the disinformation project. And that's and I, I think that's kind of really gets to the to, to the nub of this. Is as I think for a long time we kid ourselves. Even Christchurch, just an utterly appalling. Um, the terrorist act on on March fifteen. There was a. You know, it was it was a lone wolf radicalized by four chan. There was a, there was an ability to kind of abstract it away to to an extent, um, even though it was clearly a, again a product of an individual being taken on a particular journey. I think one of the things that's hardest for us to understand, you know, because we have the, these sort of individual views of them, you know, through our own interactions with them, is the extent, you know, and, and because the government sort of tacitly endorses that by by using it, um, by by using them as a, a functionally official channels, having thousands of staff for whom their main job is uh, monitoring and, and interacting on them, it lends them an imprimatur of, of, of a kind of an endorsement, even though you might see these wildly different things. And that runs headlong into a trend where institutions are broadly degrading in trust while individuals, um, you know, creators are, are kind of accelerating in trust to, to particular people. And then you get an event like the one you describe where the sheer scale of... Uh, of reach and of the the profundity of that engagement dwarfs that you know twenty two thousand you know concurrent streams is just yeah. a fantastical number like that would be a significantly like rating channel on all but you know basically TVNZ and and sort of three during prime time kind of thing and and it was it was just happening yesterday completely unmonitored and the, I guess the thing that I find you know. I still trust, would would love to get your perspective on is live stream is where you know like that that was that's the the origins of the Christchurch call we 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 acknowledge it as being that level of of a problem you know the spread of disinformation and and this this piece in the broader sense is something that Facebook has boasted about spending you know thirteen billion dollars on over the past five years and yet this still happens I mean. Is is what is whatever is being done working, and are, are there you know solves for this that that you've seen uh, that 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 might kind of arrest this this sort of seeming like slide into whatever the hell is going on here? You know, listen, these are fundamental issues you raise. Um, any one one of which is a podcast, at least. <laughs> Um, I think you raise a very important point, which I think listeners need to kind of latch on to as well, which is what my PhD is about. Um, it's very easy to hate on these mainstream platforms. I'm not talking about Telegram. I'm talking about, say, Facebook or YouTube or Twitter. 
or even TikTok. Um, but what you touched on is fundamentally important, which is that there is a simultaneous interplay of pro-social official actors using what are very, very important tools in outreach. For example, with United Against COVID-19, they couldn't be, they, they, or the Ministry of Health, they wouldn't or couldn't do what they do without the platforms, helping them with vital vectors to reach a community and a population. And so that is simultaneously occurring with the instrumentalization and weaponization of these platforms. And that is the conversation. Therein lies the rub. You know, when uh, the West says, with a privilege that don't they don't quite comprehend to delete Facebook, people like myself, we laugh because that is a luxury we don't have in the global south. Facebook is our life. It's, in, it's integral and inextricably entwined with our social, our love life, our governance, our politics, our commercial transactions, our, you know, everything is running off WhatsApp or some sort of Facebook product or platform. So that is the problem that these companies in Silicon Valley have 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 enmeshed themselves differently in Aotearoa versus the global south, but have enmeshed themselves in public and social life. And then what do you do? What do you do? Because I mean, regulation and relevant applicable laws are completely not fit for purpose. They are playing catch up. And while they play catch up, the disinfo and misinfo, Arjun provocateurs and actors uh, are way ahead. And this has been a dynamic that we've seen in the global south for far, far longer than Aotearoa, but it's catching up and no longer can Aotearoa's geographic exceptionalism inoculate or immunize against that which is already present and growing at pace. So the, 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 the other question or amongst the other things that you asked is, uh, is, is Facebook doing anything about it? And I, you know, listeners wouldn't know, but I started laughing when you asked that question because um, again, I mean, I must, you know, I, 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 I can't but not take a Global South perspective to this. These are questions that you are asking me today on the 3rd of March 2022 that we started asking in 2012, almost a decade ago, when nobody was interested in what we were highlighting and with evidence showing was the weaponization of these platforms to significant harm offline to instrumentalize it, to amplify it and to spread it. So we have been seeing this for over a decade. And in as much as can be determined, the company is still struggling. Now, I must be very, very clear that the company is struggling and the emphasis is on a struggle. There are committed individuals and teams within Facebook and these and these companies who are, you know, who don't want this who don't want to see the company's products and platforms being uh, perennially involved in the promotion and production and propagation of harms and violence. But the problem is that there is a deep disconnect and rift between the profit-making enterprise and the policy and the principled enterprise. And that seems to be a divergent kind of, that seems to be a disconnect which continues at, you know, uh, you know, in 22 as much as it was a decade ago. And that's where the problems lie. Because if you just talk about live streams, um, you know, I, I tweeted out uh, in the on, on the morning of the second, a series of tweets that told Kiwis, please tune in and switch off. Because we know 
what the communication of violence over live streams brings about. And you know it too, after what happened three years ago. Uh, and so I also put up some resources around how Kiwis could uh, report violative material, because I was really very worried that uh, what would unfold during the course of the 2nd of March wouldn't just include burning tents and projectiles at the police. Um, even though it was obviously very violent, one was always concerned throughout the course of the day, given the degree of ideation that we found present and pulsating online, that things would go pear-shaped very, very quickly. Uh, and so I'll end by saying that there is nothing at all that reassures researchers like myself who have been dealing this for close upon a decade that Facebook's oversight and controls, particularly over live streams, and by the way, this extends to other forms of social media live streams as well. You know, every platform has its own version of a live stream, uh, is fit for purpose. It is always ex post facto, uh, where they kind of first have to determine that there is something going on and then um, minimize what the live streams contain and can communicate. But that time lag is the problem. There's always a time lag. Uh, and we are not confident that Facebook understands that live streams are now today the primary vector and vehicle around a lot of what for the past 22 or 23 days has been framed, uh, you know, uh, has framed the protest. But moving forward also, it's just the way that mis and disinfo uh, is predominantly communicated. And that is the least controlled by all the platforms because of the nature of it. I mean, I think listeners would understand, you know, if I were to use an expletive on this podcast, post-production, you could edit it out. But if this was live to air, you know, that would be a different matter altogether. So imagine if my expletive was a call to violence. And imagine if anger and anxiety sufficiently at white, at you know, at you know, at a critical pitch, then translated that into offline behaviors and perceptions and actions, what we call kinetic or physical harms. It's very real. Yeah, the danger is very yeah. real. And I, I think that's the that this is the the, the thing that's difficult. And, and what what you said before about the you know. The, the global South having been talking about this forever, you know, I've heard Maria Ressa speak. You know, there was the genocide in Myanmar, like some of what's happened um, in in India around Hindu nationalism spread through WhatsApp. Like this is, these are all Facebook platforms, and this is one of the things that I thought that came out of the Facebook um, the Hogan revelations that was particularly kind of arresting was the extent to which. The, the sort of wraparound care associated with Facebook as a product in the US basically exists because both economically and politically they can demand it in a way that as soon as you start to venture into less economically sort of central or uh, more maybe where there are layers of linguistic challenges to, to sort of yeah. covering it for um, at a particular level, you just it's just a whole different level. And this was just an absolute peek into that, in, which, which is an entire governing reality in, in some of the countries that, that you're referring to under that catch-all. Yeah, but you would think that. But just on that point, you know, one of the great learnings for me here is that I came with the expectation that because Aotearoa and New Zealand are, you know, OECD, Five Eyes, Global North, uh, Christchurch Call, you know, it's a creme de la creme, you know, and it would be a cherry... 
you know, a feather in the cap of Facebook to kind of uh, get it act together. Um, and I thought, uh, you know, because of the dominant language is English, you would imagine that algorithmically and through machine learning and artificial intelligence, it would be very easy to kind of uh, maintain a greater scrutiny and oversight over arguably, as you correct, correctly noted, uh, my my country, which, you know, the language is only spoken in my country, just like in Myanmar and uh, Burmese. Uh, and so you would think that the situation would be very different here. But here's the thing. There's nothing to suggest that Facebook has any greater handle on things that are going awry on its platforms and the manner in which it is being instrumentalized. And this is, by the way, just to be very clear, not just related to the protest, but leading up to it for months prior that they have any greater oversight handle or, or handle around. You know, and, and that's quite extraordinary. And that speaks to systemic issues within the company that extend across the geographies and markets it operates in. Of course, there's an asymmetry, you know, um, with certain countries and languages and contexts, uh, obviously it faces greater challenges, but it isn't the case that Aterwa is greater secured against platform instrumentalization just because the dominant content and language employed on their product and platform surfaces are English. That's, that, you know, frankly, you know, that really surprised me. Mm. Okay, we're just about out of time. So I'm going to ask you um, one final question. I, I mean, it's been so fascinating. I, I so appreciate your um, your insights on this. But And this theoretically should have a, a yes or no answer. But do you believe that Facebook, Facebook's products and the sort of Broad, more broadly speaking, the social media environment is reformable in a way that can retain some of the, the, the very real social value that is created by these companies and platforms and meaningfully mitigate some of the, the harms which they, you know, I think are now manifestly kind of exporting to, our, to the, the, the literal steps of our democracy. Yes, it's a complex discussion, but yes, there are things that can be done and should be done. Um, there's conversations around new policymaking in the United Kingdom that are instructive in this regard, the European Union, across the Tasman in Australia. You know, so all of these are problems. None of these are perfect, but it is a very complex problem that changes every day. So you can't have a mindset that sees regulation and lawmaking as the end point um, you have to talk about it as a continuous process that is all of society and all of government. And let me end by saying that, you know, Aterawa is extremely well-placed in the global community to lead this discussion. You have an extraordinary repository, quite a unique one, actually, of, uh, uh, you know, being able to harvest uh, cultural, communal, treaty-based, Maori, uh, you know, post-treaty, but also Maori values that are fundamental to, and extraordinarily so, technological media regulation moving forward. And those are conversations we need to have, Aotearoa needs to have. So the simple answer is yes. The more complex answer is that whatever that we have today is not fit for purpose, and whatever that has been proposed in the public domain in Aotearoa is also not fit for purpose which begs then the question as to when we are going to have the discussions that matter to stop these harms from propagating and being promoted uh, at pace uh, that will impact social cohesion in the future. Yeah, and, and it's, oh God, it's, it's, it's so fascinating. And, 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 and the whole thing is like it does feel like the response is always 
it's really complicated and that thing won't work for these reasons. And, and unless you propose something which is perfect, which is by its nature impossible, then we'll, you know, the, then the whole apparatus, the whole discussion gets dismissed out of hand. Uh, we could, we, we could do it again. Maybe we will. Um, I hope so. Thank you so much, Sanjana, for, for coming on the fold today. And good luck out there. It's, it's, it's very important work you're doing. Kia ora and good luck to all of us. <laughs> True. Thank you. Uh, that was Sanjana Hotutawa on the fold. Really appreciate him making the time um, to do that. I also appreciate uh, Tahe Butler for um, recording and editing this podcast. Uh, Jane Yee for running the Spinner Podcast Network. Callum Henderson for his role in wrapping editorial around it. And most of all, always the Spinner members. Moments like this, when society gets hot, when history gets made, that's when we sort of really feel the urgency and the privilege of of what we do and uh yeah it's not a lie we couldn't do without you so if you're listening and you are one of our members uh, a huge thanks from all of us here thank you That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Kia ora e tewi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.